Well, good morning. Good morning to our online community. And I know I'm two days early, but uh, happy 4th of July as we celebrate another uh, anniversary of freedom in this country. It's a privilege and an honor to be a citizen of this country. And um, despite all of the imperfections, it's still uh, the greatest bastion of freedom this world knows. So we give thanks for the United States of America. <clears throat> Okay, well, we're going to look at uh, the end of John chapter 3 this morning, verses 22 through 36. And as we have seen, and I'd never seen this before, but Sean really brought it out that as we have moved past chapter 1 of John into chapter 2 and now chapter 3, the, the emphasis is on different. There's different narratives and different stories that emphasize the fact that Jesus is bringing in something new and something different. And so that's going to be the focus this morning, the idea of different. Now, on the screen, I've got a picture of uh, a couple of uh, movies that you might have seen or television series. Is anybody familiar with either Jesus Revolution or The Chosen? Yeah, okay, just checking. I'm sure almost all of us are aware of this. Um, Jesus Revolution, if you don't know the story, is uh, the Calvary Chapel movement and how it all began in the mid-60s in the midst of the carnage of the, of the, uh, the drug craze, the sex craze, the, the escalation of the Vietnam War. There was so much turmoil, and so many people had tried the, the, uh, the drugs and the, the lifestyle and were burned out, and they, the Lord began to draw the hippies. And Chuck Smith was the, the center point up in Costa Mesa where he began to see the hurt, but then all of a sudden the beginning of this, this movement that God was, was t touching the hearts of these outcasts and he had a decision because he had the status quo of his church, but then also he had these people that were not really, you know, barefoot and long hair and showers weren't the greatest thing to them. And, but he started to welcome them into the church because God was doing something different. And God blessed Chuck Smith in that initially the movie depicts that he struggled with that, but then ultimately he saw that God's hand was in it and he began to just trust the Lord. And what we get is called the Jesus movement, which in my mind is the last great spiritual awakening that we've had in this country. And before we keep going, let me stop real quick and pray for another one. Lord, we um, just look at our nation right now and without being judgmental, I think more than anything, my heart is just broken to see so many lost and hurting, apathetic, angry, and just really wounded people. Um, it seems like sin and death are out front and leading the charge right now in our culture, and we pray that you would reverse that with your great, mighty, unconditional love, that you turn the works of darkness upside down, and that you'd bring a renewing and a freshness of your freedom in your spirit to this country and save millions of people in Jesus' name. Amen. The other one, The Chosen, you may have seen that. It's a, a, a series that's uh, on um, Pure Flix, I think it's called, or Angel Studios. Thank you, Angel Studios. And uh, the story is that uh, um, Jesus arrives on the scene, and you've got the, uh, the disciples who are, who are Jewish, and Jesus is beginning to do new things. And in one of the scenes that, that I saw, Matthew, when he calls Matthew, Matthew is a tax collector, he's Jewish, but he's kind of betrayed his people, and he's sided with the Romans now, and he's making money off being a tax collector. And in the scene, in the, in the episode, he's in his tax collecting booth, and Jesus stands in the crowd and says, Matthew, follow me. And Peter is standing next to Jesus, and he says, uh, I don't think so, Jesus. Do you know who this guy is? Have you really thought this through? And Jesus says something that I think is so cool. He looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, get used to different. 
because God's doing something new. So, and that's what we'll see this morning. John the Baptist recognized already that he is not the Christ. Although he has an extremely influential ministry, he's not the Christ. And there'll be a little bit of a dispute with his, his uh, followers when Jesus comes on the scene and begins to, to announce his ministry. And John is going to very basically, very, very simply say, this is different. This is what we expected and now we need to yield. We need to take ourselves off of center stage, and we need to let the Messiah have center stage. And so if you will, start with uh, in John chapter 3, and let's look at verses 22 uh, through 24. Verse 22 says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. And so now we see a, a new thing. Jesus has moved into the wilderness, and he is baptizing. John also was baptizing, which we, we know. We've seen that in the first two chapters. John was baptizing at Ainaun near Salim because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. I think John throws that last verse in there to let us know this is what's going to come, that John eventually is going to be thrown into prison. And so John's followers now encounter different. Here's the stage, here's the scene in these first three verses. Well, let's take a look. Firstly, there's John's, John's situation. He is the one, the forerunner. He is the one called into the wilderness supernaturally by the Holy Spirit to call people to repentance. Now, he knows. He knows that he's not the one, but he is the one who was the herald. He is proclaiming. Now, John's persona, if you ask me, is a, a real high-profile one. If you go back to John chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, what you'll see here is you'll see a description of John's ministry and the folks that come and encounter him and the questions that they ask. They're, they're pretty high profile, if you ask me. Chapter 1, verse 19, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So not only do they want to know who, they is, who he is, but the type of questions that they're asking and the type of people that they are. Here, they are uh, high-profile Jewish leaders, and they have traveled all the way from Jerusalem. So this is, this is a matter of importance. John, in verse 20, confessed and did not deny and said, I'm not the Christ. So they continued, and they asked him, well, well what then? Are you Elijah? That's another high-profile person. He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? So he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. That was his vision. That was his ministry call. And those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, well, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among whom you do not know. He's pointing to Jesus. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. So, so here's John's persona. He's a, a very influential forerunner of Jesus. He has some pretty high profile people asking him some high profile questions. And then along with that, if you plumb a little bit into the other gospels, you can see there was a lot going on. There was a, quite a stir that was taking place out in the Judean wilderness because in Matthew chapter 3 and Mark chapter 1, all of the region went out to him. Now, that's kind of a, an embellishment. I, I'm sure not everybody went, but the emphasis is on there's a lot of people taking time out of their, their regular days to go see 
uh, what's going on with John the Baptist. And then in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, the multitudes came out. And so here we see John. We haven't gotten to, gotten to his followers yet, but here we see John. And this is a, hit, a pretty high-profile situation. Now, John recognizes that different is coming. He's not it. He is the plant of the forerunner. He is the herald of what's to come. However, as we see now, his disciples, uh, they're, they're not keeping their eye on the ball, and John's going to have to, to kind of recalibrate their thinking. Well, let's look at uh, verses 25 and, and 26. In verse 25... there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John uh, answered saying, well, we'll stop there. All are coming to him. So you can see uh, here that there's there's a dispute. Firstly, a dispute goes from the doctrinal to the personal. Uh, you, you, you can see in the verse that uh, firstly, John's followers are having a dispute with the Jews about a doctrinal issue, about purification. And then very quickly, this turns to personal because Jesus is now, is now baptizing. And all of a sudden now the crowds are starting to shift. Something different is going on. And it seems like his followers have been caught a little on the back foot. And they're concerned about this because the word behold basically means pay attention, can't you see what's going on here? We're, we're losing uh, what's happening. There's a good thing happening here, and we're starting to see a, a move to in, a, in another direction. And so it's like this, it's, hey, you don't, you don't get what's going on, John. Pay attention. It's almost like the disciples in the boat during the storm. They were so concerned about the storm. Their eyes were so fixed on what was going on. And here Jesus is asleep in the boat. And finally, Jesus recognizes that they are ready to lose it. And he calms the storm immediately. And so in this instance, it's, it's you don't understand what's going on. It's almost like Peter uh, trying to uh, rebuke Jesus when he's uh, inviting Matthew to come follow him. It's Jesus, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know who this guy is. What are you thinking? And isn't that like us sometimes? God does something different in our lives, and initially we, we just can't see it. We don't understand it. It doesn't fit our plans, and God all of a sudden throws a little bit of a curveball, and he encourages us to, to follow him because we must decrease and he must increase. And so you can see here that initially the, the, the disciples of John are, are caught in the moment. Their eyes are fixed on here instead of fixed on here. And John is going to address that and, and gently recalibrate their minds to see that there's a bigger picture here, that God is doing something different. But fellas, we knew about it all the time. In John chapter 27, he says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, his joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. And so John sees the situation almost kind of like Jesus. Jesus uh, sees the, the, the focus on the horizontal of the disciples in the boat, and he comes and he lovingly corrects them and helps them to get their eyes up. John does the same thing. He sees his disciples in a dispute here and very concerned about different is happening, and it doesn't sound like they're on board with it. And he comes and he very, posit- very uh, encouragingly takes a negative, 
and he turns it into a positive. He points everybody right back to Jesus. And so firstly, it's John's response. He knew God's economy. In verse 27, he says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You and I can receive nothing unless it has been given to us from heaven. That's a, a key principle right there where we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes, the, comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of term, turning, James tells us. Now, the verses that I thought about when I was studying this week were 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through, actually it's uh, 13, I had a typo there, 10 through 13, I've got it on the screen. Look at David's focus here if you, when you want to talk about having a kingdom vision. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the Lord, uh, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from... You, you are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Aren't those wonderful verses? They just really encourage us to know that God is entirely in control. He's entirely provident. He's a good shepherd who watches out over us and has command over our lives and is, is looking on us like a, a shepherd looks out on their sheep. He's a good God, and, and he is entirely sovereign and entirely provident. And David certainly makes a note of that. It's, it's about you. It's all about you. Would to God that our lives are like that. We live our lives, uh, and we ha all have different circumstances and scenarios uh, different uh, individuals with whom we come in contact with, different events. And it ultimately, my hope is, our barometer is, it's all about you, Lord. What can I do in this situation to recognize that you are my king? As Sean mentioned when we got started, you are my creator, you are my redeemer, you are my king, and I entirely decrease so that you can increase inside of me. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And what a wonderful place to be because then you're really offering yourself to the God of all eternity, the God of all providence, the God of all sovereignty, the God of all goodness, the God of all justice. And when we completely turn our lives over and abandon or surrender all to him, Oswald Chambers says, life from that point on by faith becomes a glorious opportunity for seeing marvelous things all the time. And when you trust God, when it's up high and when it's down low, you trust him in all circumstances because you know Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Uh, you are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You're the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. And therefore, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can hear John's attitude. I'm, I'm assuming here, but you can hear John just basically saying, look, fellas, it's been a real interesting ministry, but it's not about us. It's been very impactful. You can see uh, the difference that's being made here and how God is calling people to repentance. And we're right in the middle of it. But I'm telling you, we're, we're really second, we're second players. We're the, bride, we're the, the, uh, the bridegroom. We're not the, the groomsmen. And that's what John does here. He basically illustrates that. Uh, firstly, he knew his calling. 
Uh, he said he's not the Christ. And then secondly, he'll, he illustrates his calling by telling this story about the bridegroom. Going back to verse 29, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. And John is simply saying, no, I'm not the, the center of attention here. All I am is the one who has prepared the way so that my wonderful friends that I adore and love, Mr. and Mrs., the, the bride and, and the bridegroom, they can, uh, I'll set everything up for them so that they can have a wonderful day, carefree, full of joy. And so if they are full of joy on their, their, their eventful day, then I am full of joy. My joy is fulfilled by seeing them fulfill what God has for their lives. And so basically, this is what John does. He just tells a story and uses an illustration to say, we're not the center of attention, gentlemen. We are nothing more than the herald. We, are, we set the table, and now it's, something different is happening, and it's time for us to move out of the way. So it's just a neat little illustration that he uses. And I'm sure, much like Jesus' parables, I, I know that these young men, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Uh, along with that, in verse 30, he defined his calling. Um, I must decrease and he must increase. And he uses the word must twice, which really means my will. This is my will. My voluntary will is to do this so that this can happen. My voluntary will is to be lower in authority so that the king of kings can be exalted to his rightful place of authority and kingship. So that's the ministry. And then if you could think about an application for us, a, a, a spiritual application, Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I always think of John, there, John Frisbee. John Frisbee and all the times he led the prayer ministry, this is one that you had by memory. And this is one, if I've heard out of your mouth once, I've heard probably a thousand times. So John, for the rest of my life, when I see Galatians 2.20, guess who I think about? And smile. Yep, one of my spiritual heroes, John Frisbee. So what's Paul saying here? Paul is saying that it's no longer my will. It's no longer my life. When I receive Christ as the forgiver of my sins, frees me from the power of sin and death, and welcomes me into his kingdom and establishes his righteousness and his purity and his holiness within me, now I live a different life. The old man has passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so my life is different. Uh, you can see here that it's basically what Christ has done for us. His crucifixion breaks the power of sin and death. His crucifixion pays the price for all of our sins, that if we believe that by faith and rec recognize him as our Lord and Savior, boom, everything changes. Everything changes. You go from spiritual death to spiritual life. And now we live a life yielded to God. So we have, we have decreased through what he's done for us on the cross and through the empty tomb. And now we live a life of just simply yielding to him, just surrendering to his plans and his will for our lives, even though it might be different than what we expect. And then in verses 31 through 33, he continues and says, he who comes from above, now he starts to speak about Jesus. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. It's almost word for word with uh, what Jesus told Nicodemus in chapter three, verse 12. He who comes from heaven is above all. 
And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. So some will not receive the testimony of Jesus. He who has received his testimony, however, those that believe on his name have certified, almost like a certified letter, they have certified that God is true. So John's response, quite simply, the the person of Jesus is above all. In verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. In verse 32, the message of Jesus is above all. What he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. And then verse 33, the message of Jesus is for all. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. Whosoever will may come. It's off, the offer is open to everyone and those by faith. Whosoever will, will come and receive the testimony of Jesus by faith. And then in verses 34 through 36, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the spirit by measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Well, John's response here, John is exalting different in this instance, and uh, the message here is really unlike others. He's speaking of, uh, going back to verse 34, he says, uh, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for for God does not give the spirit by measure. What does he mean by that? Well, the spirit by measure, that would be an example that the prophets in the Old Testament were given a measure of the spirit. But here, Jesus is the fullness of the spirit. In fact, John or Hebrews chapter one, God who at various times and in various ways and times past spoke to the fathers through the prophets has in these last days spoken uh, to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds. And so the author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus stands above the prophets. His office is above the prophets. And John is recognizing that. He is saying, yes, the Old Testament prophets were given a measure of the Spirit. Now Jesus is is given the fullness of the Spirit because he is God. Uh, The person and message of Jesus is like the Father in all things. And as I was studying, it it really is fascinating that um, I've been reading through the Gospel of John for the last year, uh, partly because I've been been teaching at the apartments over across the street, and now partly because when I found out that Sean was beginning to teach in John, I I just like to read along with um, our pastor as he uh, goes through uh, whatever Sunday sermon that, that he may have. And so it just, it just fills me. But it's fascinating to me, and this is just a personal thing, that here John is mentioning the, the nature of the Father and Jesus. And so I thought about that, because as I've been reading through it, you see this a lot in John's gospel. So I went into the concordance, and I looked to see, well, how many times is Father with a capital F in the other gospels? And I was surprised to find out that in Matthew, you'll find Father with a capital F 42 times, In Mark, you find it five times. In Luke, you find it 15 times. Anybody want to guess how many times you find it in John? A lot. (laughs) Base is covered, William. 116. Yeah, so more than twice, Matthew. Now, granted, Mark is a smaller book, so I get it. But but you think, I always thought that you'd see that, and that's that's not disparaging towards the other Gospels, but what it does show you is that between chapter 5 and chapter 27 of the Gospel of John, man, the relationship between Jesus and the Father is really something that is, is very much accentuated. In fact, 
um, without going into all the verses, just two that I picked out that I thought were really at the top of the heap. John chapter 10, verse 30 says, I and my father are one. And then John chapter 14, verse 9 says, he who has seen me has seen the father. So as we walk through the next, um, I don't know, chapter 5 to 27, what does that work out to be? About 22, 22 chapters. Or as you want to read ahead of time during the week, watch and see how many times Jesus speaks about his father, his father's works, his relationship with the father, his father's heart, his father's expression towards, towards creation and towards his people. To me, I, I just thought it was fascinating. And so he talks about the father. And then in verse 36, he says, he who believes, not he who leaps tall buildings in a single bound, not he who uh, gives all their money to the church, he who believes in what? And the son has what? Has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And it doesn't get any more clear than that. All of us will spend eternity somewhere. And here the offer of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of God in the flesh to pay the price for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin himself that through him we might be given the righteousness of God. God has taken our sin upon himself. He's, he's paid the penalty. He's paid the, the, the price. He's freed us from the bondage of sin. He has rescued us from our sin. And now through faith in him, he has given to us eternal life. He's given to us new life. If we choose not to receive that, we carry our sin with us. And when we stand before God, when our life, our physical life is over, you will be judged on the Ten Commandments. And I can tell you right now, no one can keep the Ten Commandments. And so what God has done is he has now offered a fulfillment of the perfection and righteousness of God's law in his son. If we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, we're saved. He's done everything for us. The only thing he can't push us into is belief. That's a conscious choice that we make. But there are consequences to it, as the text tells us. There is everlasting life, and there is everlasting separation from God. Choose today who you will serve. And I would offer to you, if you haven't made that choice today, it's just a recognition that I, I realize that I'm a, sin, I'm a sinner, and I don't measure up to the holiness of God. That's the bad news. But the good news, I recognize the cross. I recognize that on the cross, my sin has been paid for. The power of sin and the fear of death has been broken in my life. And by faith, Lord, I receive that. I, I ask forgiveness for my sins, and I welcome you by faith. Your death, burial, and resurrection, I believe in it, and I welcome that by faith into my life. That's what it means to be saved. So John is talking about different. When different comes into our lives, how do we react. I know for myself, oftentimes I always react in the flesh. I always am looking horizontally instead of vertically. I'm always, I always do that because that's, that's who I am. But the beauty is, as I'm growing older in the Lord, the gap between the flesh recognizing something and the spirit being invited in to see, to let God filter what's going on, that gap gets slow, smaller and smaller as I progress with the Lord. But we still are human beings, and we still look at things uh, with our five senses, but the Lord is always there to help lift our eyes to see, hey, I'm doing something different. And if you trust me, if you decrease and let me increase within you, if you trust me, a life by faith is a glorious opportunity for seeing marvelous things all the time. 
Lord, we thank you for these narratives of the old and the new, of, of different. Um, thank you that you don't do things our way. Thank you that you are so much higher above our thoughts and our feelings, and, and yet you don't punish us for that or play hide-and-seek. You actively invade our space, and, and you lead us and guide us like, a, like a, a shepherd does their sheep. And so we just want to trust you afresh and anew this morning. Lord, if things are just rolling along in our lives right now, uh, we thank you for that. If uh, different is in our lives right now in the form of a hardship or an injustice or a wound or a, or a pain or a memory, uh, we want to commit that to you, Lord. We want to trust that you are good, that yours, uh, your will is, is so much better than our will. And so we thank you again that you actively participate in our lives and you love us that much that you want to lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.